In this episode, we're going to talk about a movie that's got a pretty great acronym breakdown. Good. Crispy hot dogs under distress. Nope, nope, that's not it. Children hate unwrapped donuts. No, nope, nope. Chlamydia has upsides, Derek. No, that's not, nope. Anyway, that, we'll, we'll get, we'll, we'll tell you what it is. Music! <laughs> poor, poor Derek. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, Derek, he's having a tough one. Welcome to the New World Podcast, where we talk about every movie released by New World Pictures, the studio and distribution arm created by Roger Corman back in the 1970s, and into the 1980s to the early 90s, where it was then run by CEO Robert Remy. And we're going to talk about that era tonight, because we are going to talk about Judd. Oh, this is where I'm supposed to play the trailer, right? <laughs> yeah. How long have we been doing these podcasts? Hold on. Ready? Talking about Chud. Beneath the city of New York are living catacombs, an endless maze of subterranean tunnels, unfit for anything human. Unauthorized for anything experimental. Hold it! There's something moving up ahead at the top! And unlikely to bring anyone down there. So. <laughs> they're coming up. Chud. <laughs> Chud. Check your basement. <laughs> And your bathroom. Keep off the street and try to hide. But remember, the dark is their place. The night is their time. And tomorrow, the only things living in the city of New York will be Chud. Chud. Cannibalistic, humanoid, underground dwellers. That's what it is. That's what it is. Got it. I think you probably fell asleep the 50 times they mentioned what the acronym was in the got movie. It, so got it, got it. Not just... like cool hotties and doing deli <laughs> no. meats. No. <laughs> no. 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 Very close, though. Very close. That is very close. Uh, so, yes, we're going to be talking about Chud tonight. I am Ryan. With me, as always, is Mark. Hello. And Erica. Or maybe it could be like circular helmets, undoing danger. <laughs> it's true. That's what their purpose is. 
Um, uh, and we're going to be talking about Chud, and we have a very special guest with us in this episode. We're so excited to have uh, actor, filmmaker, you you saw him in Contracted, in the Mind's Eye, and also Beyond the Gates. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Mercer is with us. Hey. Yeah. I am hey, so Matt. excited to, hey, how's it going? I'm so excited to be here. Uh, I love this movie, and just listening to that trailer right now got me so jazzed. And I love that the sewer. I just love the ta- <laughs> like the lines that they the, the the sewer is unauthorized for any experimentation. Just so you know, <laughs> that's the place. I also love that it says like the night is theirs, like, the dark is theirs. But like, spoiler alert: there's a lot of break-ins and things that happen like in broad light. Yeah, especially like, in you know, yeah. yeah, 1980s uh, Soho in New York. A lot of there were other things owned the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was just saying that I think they were keeping a pretty full 24-hour schedule. That's what I think you're trying to say there, yeah. Erica, right? I yeah. mean, they were not just keeping to night hours. They really yeah. were keeping right. to all hours. Mm-hmm. They were certainly <laughs> honoring untold dialysis. <laughs> 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 um, so this is a movie that actually has a pretty stellar cast. Uh, we got we have John Hurd, who's just coming off of Cat People. Daniel Stern, who actually had already done Breaking Away and Diner at this point in his career. And uh, and the reason he's he does this movie and John Hurd is because they were friends with the original writer Shepard Abbott and the director Douglas Cheek. Kim Greist, uh it makes her film debut. John Goodman is in this okay. in a brief role. Frankie Faison is in this as well as one of the flamethrower cops. He he played he was in The Wire, and oh. also played Nurse Barney in Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal and uh, uh, Red Dragon. Um, John Polito is unrecognizable as unrecognizable. a TV reporter. Yeah, you yeah. I did not notice it until. <laughs> The commentary yeah. pointed out that it was Joe that it was Joe Polito. I yeah. not, it did not. I was like, what? Um, Patricia Richardson from Home Improvement is in the background of a scene because her lines got cut. So <laughs> there is like a, a, yeah. a ton of people in this movie. And uh, we will. And that leads us to a game we always like to play, which is what is this movie about? Uh, so, Mark, let's start <laughs> with you. What is this movie about? You know, it's just the age-old tale. It's it's unfortunately it's at this point kind of a, a, an early '80s trope because it seemed like there was a period of time that just about every movie that came out, the plot was basically the same. There's a government cover-up, uh, and the only people that know how to solve it are a fashion photographer and a reverend. <laughs> I mean, right. you saw it time and time again, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's always like a fashion photographer and the guy who owns a soup kitchen. They're the they're the last, oh, uh, and a cop whose I mean, wife is think... missing. That's right. That's right. <laughs> who, by the way, spoiler alert: when they find her dead, th- this movie makes a lot of. There's a, some odd character choices. Instead of going back to the police department and and trying to solve the murder of his wife, he just heads straight to the bar. He just yeah, it's like, true. All right, yeah, it's true. And the two cops are like, let's take you home. And he's like, nope. 
No. Nope. Going, bar get, time. Going to get my drink on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the bar is my home now. Erica, what is this movie about? Beats me. I mean, <laughs> I think what I gathered from it is that toxic waste is bad. It has consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, that living underground makes you gun hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's what I got yeah. from it. That you, was my takeaway. That was my takeaway. We'll, also, we'll like, dig in more because I know that this movie sort of confused you a little it bit. It did. Yeah. It did. I have a lot of questions. I, mm-hmm. I specifically, yeah, I'm going to direct some questions at you, Matt, that I'm going to need some help with since I know that you're a big <laughs> fan. So, I'm a big fan, yeah. Yeah, I'll you're going to have to help me out with so this Matt, one. speaking of. I can, I can guide you, don't worry. Thank goodness. <laughs> Somebody needs to. Yes. Um, through the miasma that is Chud. Uh, so, Matt, then we should go to you. What is this movie about? Well, like I said before, I love this movie. I think it's a quintessential 80s movie. And like Mark said, I think it, it does a lot of tropey things that happened uh, in the 80s. But I also think this is one of those movies that um, it reminds me of like a 50s eco-terror creature movie. I mean, this is definitely an eco-terror movie. And I think a lot of the filmmakers who were making these kinds of movies in the 80s were grew up on the movies of the fifties, things like them or, you know, these giant creature movies, creatures affected by yeah, giant ants affected by radiation. And I think this kind of falls into that category and, but it's essentially this movie with, like you said, all these great actors, it's an ensemble cast. You have a guy who runs a soup kitchen who notices that the homeless are disappearing. Uh, you have a photographer played by John Hurd, who's trying to, uh, he's covering his own, I guess his own journalistic quest to cover what's happening to the homeless in New York. And then you have a cop played by Christopher Curry, who's like trying to figure out what's happened, why all these homeless people are disappearing, specifically the underground undergrounders, as they call them, who live under the ground uh, in this colony. And then above grounders start disappearing too. So all of their storylines sort of converge and they discover something nefarious is happening to the undergrounders. Some of them are turning into creatures and some of them are being devoured. That's the plot to me. (laughs) You know, to me, I felt like this movie was just about like, hey, should toxic waste, should we all get affected by toxic waste and radioactivity? Ultimately, it's not going to be that bad because you're going to be able to extend your neck. You're going to have these Mm -hmm. really cool, bright yellow eyes like your teeth are going to be a thing. Those are going to be a thing, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah. to be honest, it's not really going to be that bad. You're going to be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so to you're going to look like, super hey, cool. Don't, yeah, yeah, don't don't worry about it. You're like, going to be bloodthirsty, but I mean, it's not yeah, the end of the world. You're going to eat everything. Any anybody that gets comes comes your way, but like, honestly, don't yeah. be so nervous about it. Mm-hmm. You know, because no. I feel like this was made during a time too when there was tons of movies that were. I mean, throughout the '80s. We, it seemed like a lot of movies were obsessed with, like, what are we going to do with toxic waste? <laughs> and yeah. and we're not, proper, we're not properly taking care of this toxic waste. And particularly in New York, I mean, if uh, Jason goes uh, to Manhattan and teaches us anything, right. it is just... And it teaches us many things. And it teaches us... There's so many lessons to learn from <laughs> in that movie. So well, many well, takeaways. First of, all, first of all, Jason didn't just go to Manhattan. He took Manhattan. That's true. Oh, I mean, that's that's Jason you. didn't... He one. didn't... Yeah, he didn't. He didn't buy it. Jason. Jason visits Manhattan. 
<laughs> he wasn't on a hop on, hop off bus just touring Manhattan. <laughs> it's true. He did take it. He took it by storm um, for at least 20 odd minutes. And um, and in that, we learned that like there is tons of to- toxic waste that's just floating around. You can just cover a whole body in it in those in those sewers down there. Um, yeah. But this movie actually was made because there was a story about how some people in New York were legitimately living underground in some of these old uh, tunnels, which I believe were all abandoned subway tunnels. But they were living underground. And I believe that's how they started making this movie. And so that said, I know we you've already said, Matt, that you really like this movie. But what is it about this movie that, I mean, you chose Chud. Um, and so yeah, I got to talk about Chud. I reached out to cover the new world movie. When you get to Chud, I don't know if you have guests, but I'd love to talk about Chud. Yeah. yeah. So, 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 you know, what, what's your history with Chud and why did you pick this particular movie? Well, it was one of the, when I first started getting into horror movies as a kid, it was one of the first ones I convinced my dad to let me watch and rent. And, um, I think one of the strongest things about this movie, as simple as it is, is the is the art, the one sheet for the movie that's on the VHS box art. It's so promising. And the movie doesn't quite live up to that art, which is, yeah, it's essentially this the creature from the movie popping up out of a, a foggy sewer manhole. Manhole cover, yeah. Manhole cover with glowy eyes. And uh, the original uh, poster had the longest tag. One of the, it was, you know, at that time when they were doing the longest taglines in history for these movies. <laughs> um, and I, uh, that's when I first saw it. And while I completely feel that it's not the best eighties creature movie ever, I would say it's a mid tier movie. It really combines so many elements that are great, including the cast, the creature design. And I know there's some debate. Some people who worked in the movie felt the creatures were not right for it and too much. I love them. I think John Caglione did an incredible job making them. So I think it's the creatures, uh, the eco-terror aspect, the amazing cast, and, uh, and kind of like just a lot of the lore behind it and how it was made like they were making it at the same time as ghostbusters and ghostbusters was taking all the slime and the ky jelly in town so they couldn't get it for the creatures and you know there's just so much great story behind it that i think makes it one of my favorites you know it's certainly not at the on the same level as something like aliens or even tremors but it's it's still great you know and it's very low budget and you can tell they were doing the best they could with what they had and it really was a launching point for, you know, some of the cast had already done movies. Like you said, Daniel Stern had done Diner and um, uh, John Hurt had already done Chili Scenes of Winter, things like that. So, but really the crew, you know, it was Claire Simpson's first movie as an editor and she went on to do a ton of work. It was, yeah. uh, you know, just, it, it was, a, it was really a launching point for a lot of people. So I think it's an Which important even movie. Like new- New World has like a lot of movies like that that are like launching points, but in the, the yeah. second era, there's not a lot of movies, at least so far, that we've come across that are as big a launching point as some of the earlier, like you know, Corman era. But this one certainly is where like you had a lot of points. Unfortunately, not the screenwriter or the director; they didn't seem to move on too much else. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's like everybody else moved. On. Like Peter Stein had a great career, the cinematographer. Um, yeah, it was kind of Douglas Cheek was kind of the odd, the director, Douglas Cheek was kind of the odd yeah. person out. He didn't do too much more. Well, 
Shepard um, Abbott didn't do too much either. I mean, they were they were hmm. more involved in like I know they were involved uh, in theater, particularly with um, Christopher Curry and uh, John Hurd and 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 uh, and, and uh, Daniel Stern. That like that's how they all kind of knew right. each other. They were all friends. And the, I believe the original version of the script was more about uh, just these uh, underground people sort of semi-mutating, but not into creatures. They were just sort of mutating, but they didn't become the creatures. The creatures were really the producer, Andrew Bonamy, and he uh, was Bonim, the one who yeah. really... But yeah. Is that what is it? Bonim? I didn't know how to say I his I think name. it's Bonim. That's how they say it on the... Oh, okay. That's how uh, Daniel Stern says it on the commentary in a very condescending okay. way. Andrew Bonim. <laughs> Okay. He, he, uh, he, yeah, he apparently really pushed for the creatures because even like, um, in the special effects on, on the era Blu-ray, when they talk to, uh, John Gaglione, he, he talks about how he wanted to do some more, a bit more of like a, more of a mutation, but, Mm. um, but the, but the producer really pushed for them to be like these creatures and really wanted him to like have these like creature things. And so that was yeah. something that was pushed on them. So in the, in the commentary, they are very not happy with those creatures. Um, yeah. But it, this movie is, Oh, go ahead. Oh no. I was just going to say, I, yeah, that it seems like when this movie was in production, everybody kind of had a say and Bonim had a lot of influence on it, but then in post, he really even had more influence over the finished product which is why there are two cuts of it you know right. and the, the right. later cut is much better i'm sure we'll talk about that i guess later but yeah it's like yes um yeah it's it seems like everyone took a stab at the script too including daniel stern <laughs> everybody <laughs> yeah. wrote on this thing i personally love the creatures i i would it's the maybe the one thing i would side with bonim on is i love these glowy eyed weird <laughs> i like them creatures. too That's yeah you see yeah. those long claws kind of slowly come out of the manhole cover. You're yeah. like, oh, yeah, it's so awesome. Yeah. So if you are looking to watch Chud, and presumably you may have watched that before you listen to this, but if you are interested in watching it and then coming back and listening to what we say about the movie, I think it is available on Prime at the moment. It is. Of course, it That's also is. It. Is that how you watch it, Mark? Yep. Okay, and you apparently got the right cut then because you mentioned the scene where uh, he sees his dead wife. So, um, so you saw the uh, what they call sort of the integral cut, but it's the director's cut essentially. Even though I don't think this is the cut that uh, Douglas Cheek like sat there and like made. It's really a cut where they had added a bunch of scenes they had cut out of the theatrical version, um, and for television but they had cut some of the gore out. So they just kept the gore in and put all the scenes back in that, that were uh, cut out to, so they could put it on TV. So, and that is essentially the director's cut, um, which right. the guys doing the commentary are not even sure that they're watching that. They think they're going to be watching the theatrical <laughs> cut. Uh, yeah. But on air, on the Arrow disc, you can, you get both. And I started, we, we started, I should say, Eric and I started with the theatrical cut. And I got to say, uh, I was a little nervous for this episode after watching that because <laughs> that is not a very good version of this movie. And uh, it's a mess. For wh- however you feel about this movie, the theatrical cut does not do it many favors. It's kind of amazing how you can mess up a movie by certain elements, taking certain elements out. That particular scene, Mark, that you mentioned where Christopher Curry finds his wife's head is not there. That's not in the theatrical cut. 
Um, well, he just goes to the bar. <laughs> I just, he's at I the guess. waterfront, and then he's at the bar. <laughs> so, in, you know, the very beginning of the movie, the movie starts with a woman. She's walking her dog, and she walks around a manhole cover, and out of the manhole cover, and really, like, kind of hand it to him, it's very much Roger Corman style. Here just comes an arm that reaches for her <laughs> ankle. And we don't see her get dragged truly into it. We just hear a scream. And then it's the next day and, you know, the street cleaner cleans up her left leftover shoe. Her and her dog, I should say. I know, the dog. The dog gets pulled in. The, the dog has it. a cameo later uh, in, as, uh, where they find the, the, the dog body. And you have to remember that that is the dog from the beginning. Because it really doesn't look like the dog. No. <laughs> Certainly hope unscathed dog. <laughs> Shut. Shut. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's how this movie starts. And uh, what was I going to say about it? Uh, I don't know. That's how it starts. We start seeing these creatures. Um, and that that later, you would, you would just have to put together that that woman was the uh, police chief or police, ca police captain, um, that that was his wife. He mentions it, but you don't actually see him find her body. So there's certain things like that. Oh, that I they're... didn't even put that together until just now. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a police officer. <laughs> yeah, you get like a description from him about when she disappeared in the theatrical cut, but you never see her head. So, oh. and by the way, in real life, yeah. that's Daniel Stern's wife playing right. that right. role. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ooh. So, a little tidbit. <laughs> yeah, and they had just, they had been married already for a few years, and they'd had their first kid, who is now, wow. he is now a state representative for California, Hunter Stern. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, how about that? So, how uh, many times I would love to hear think... Hunter Stern's thoughts on Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good I'm glad that's you good brought question. that up. Go ahead, Mark. I'm glad you brought that up, because it, is this a Home Alone prequel? That, is I it a sequel to Home Alone to 2? <laughs> or is this a Home Alone 3 pre prequel? Because you've got <laughs> Daniel Stern, you've got John Hurd, Christopher Curry, who plays Bosch, is in Home Alone 3, <laughs> on, and <laughs> Sam McMurray plays plays one of the people, one of the cops, and he's in Christmas Vacation, so at least we're in the, oh, the Hughes shoot. universe here. I thought this movie was I thought that this was directed by John Hughes under a pseudonym, because I'm like, he went after all <laughs> these cool people. Like, Dun I'm just going to bring in my cast. <laughs> so, if this is a prequel, then Daniel Stern was down underground then he meets up uh, with uh, 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 what? John Harry? Harry, 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 who was the uh, his partner in Home Alone, right? So he met him. Joe, yeah, Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci's character was living underground, and then they realized, <laughs> hey, we've got something in common. Let's go rob stuff. John, but if this is a Home Alone two sequel. At this point, John Hurt's been kicked to the curb because he's left his kid at home twice. Mm -hmm. And Christopher Curry, who is Bosch, leaves the police department because he can't handle it anymore, remarries, and is now Macaulay Culkin's other, the other kid who played Macaulay Culkin's character in Home Alone 3. Anyway, I feel like there's a story here that we could tie together. There's another cut. Of this movie, yeah. ties all of that together. I, I think the story was... is that Mark 
is really deep in the Home Alone franchise. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> We're all learning about each other tonight. Well, yeah. I had the same question uh, if it was a Home Alone prequel, but I'm kind of, now I'm sort of turned around about it being a, a sequel and seeing John Hurd really just kind of move on from his very large family, mm-hmm. like, and starting over with Pam Greased, they yeah. get pregnant. They're going to start a, he's starting a he new family. <laughs> he's done with Catherine done. O'Hara. He's done with that family. <laughs> he started a new life as a photographer. And, and he's into ladies with pimply asses. We learned that right. early, early on. on Pam <laughs> Greased has a pimply ass. Um, and funny enough, she Pam Greased works again with John Gaglione in Manhunter. Because that's one of the next yeah. films that she does. Wow. So huh. they do that together. So, you know, talk about also, launching careers. I don't uh, recommend anyone start a drinking game whereby you take a shot every time someone in this movie says Bosh. Because you <laughs> will be in real trouble. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, who's Bosh again? I'm joking. Of course, that's the police captain played by Christopher Curry. And his name is mentioned. What is great about the script is that they definitely mention everyone's name multiple times. Mm-hmm. They yes. don't want you to not know who the person is that they're talking to and what their name is. Um, this isn't just a big uh, uh, influence on you, though, Matt, because this was also a big uh, influence on Jordan Peele as well. Because yeah. his his movie Us is is got echoes of this movie in it. And, in fact... Uh, you see a video cassette of Chud and the opening shot as it tracks uh, by a TV. There's a, a, oh, that's a video right. box of Chud in there. And there's a reason for it is because when Jordan Peele was younger, one of his first young, like 11, 12 year old, you know, during that era, uh, one of his first girlfriends was Douglas Cheek's daughter. So no he way. actually, oh, wow. yeah. Huh. So he, he, he was familiar with Douglas Cheek. And that's why that's sort and sort of interesting to think of uh, Chud versus us is like oh wow yeah you can totally mm-hmm. see like how this in, this that movie influenced that obviously it's a, a much different story but not I mean it's actually yeah. putting those two together actually no it's very cool. I remember in the beginning of that movie when the camera's pulling back from the TV and you see it on the shelf the VHS copy of Chud on the shelf I was like oh huh I bet there's going to be some underground thing going on in this movie and then sure <laughs> yeah. enough and I, but i was sort of internally joking about that and then it, that's where it goes it's like oh that is a, a clue <laughs> to yeah. where he's going with this yeah um so it seems like there it definitely was like two movies being made though and maybe that's why there's two cuts of the movie hmm. because um on the commentary which you watch too matt they definitely yeah. uh are they they've definitely felt like they didn't want parnell hall to rewrite the script which he did um there's several things that stood out to me they didn't really care for that he rewrote the script um uh abbott only has like story credit and then daniel stern says that he and christopher curry wrote most of their scenes in fact christopher curry said on a uh on a podcast i listened to without without your head he actually said that uh daniel stern's character was like kind of a quiet policeman, I think. Like, he didn't really say as much. And it was Daniel Stern's uh, decision to make him, I guess, the guy that owns the soup kitchen and then could know more about the homeless people that way. And that's how he could involve himself. Oh, that's interesting. I think that's a good call because we already have one 
official. It's better to have like a, a variety of characters having to come together who normally wouldn't otherwise. It's more interesting yeah. that way. Yeah. yeah. It's and always it, interesting. It makes more sense of why he knows kind of the catacombs so well. Yeah. Being the soup kitchen owner, he's like, oh, I would bring food down here to some of them that don't come up at all. Yeah. So no, if he would I, have I just, just been a police officer, it would have been like, how does he know this so well? What, what does he I think know? for you someone know? that is like so scared of spiders, you wouldn't want to go down there. <laughs> <laughs> you are obsessed with Home Alone. Look. I, I, <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's the same character still. Yeah. I... Another interesting thing on that commentary, and you had brought up that you were just talking about the catacombs. I think it's really fascinating that they actually shot a lot of this movie in underground around the subway. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think they said in particular around uh, where the train re-enters the Manhattan side in the one that runs yeah, under the Brooklyn. Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah, yeah under the Brooklyn Ew. Bridge, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's really oh. incredible, the scenes. I mean, there's like, I think they built one piece of tunnel that they just reused over and over again on a soundstage, but the That's stuff the they really- one where it has the hole, which eventually yes. um, the reporter gets pulled through when he's with John Hurd. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, so which that, is that part a is great reaction from John yes. Hurd. John Hurd's reaction yes. is the best thing in the whole, that's the best piece of acting in the whole movie. But that, yeah, aside from that piece, they really shot underground and where they, uh, you know, the scene where they go, go down the train tracks and enter from that way. There's that um, room with all the stuff piled up in it underground. And there's those like road salt stalactites and stuff hanging down. It's like, you can't beat that. Like that they really went there to shoot it. It's, it's unbelievable. And yeah, had to be pretty harrowing going down there in the dead of summer when it's really hot and probably very smelly in there. And I'm sure they were yeah, contending the with rats down there. Like, oh God. yeah. Spiders. I mean, that's just <laughs> so many spiders. <laughs> I mean, that's just really cool. You know, that you see that side of New York. Yeah. The other difference between the like the quote unquote director's cut and the theatrical cut is that, I think in the theatrical cut, it is much more like almost like a uh, like a mystery movie where they're just trying to figure out, like, where these people go. It's a lot of mm. people talking and chatting and trying to find the missing homeless people and like yeah. a few moments of like the the one lady in the apartment building finding like the bloody boxes in the street and seeing that there's a hole there. But like, yeah not really much going on and they save the diner scene where john goodman and jay thomas come in and play cops and they come into the diner that's at the tail end of the movie that's the ending moment of the movie okay. as if to say i guess there's more chuds and come on back and yeah come on back for chud. round two <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's my least favorite thing about the theatrical cut is how they reordered it because it just doesn't make any sense because you have the aftermath of the diner earlier in the film and you know it's the same place. It's just very strange. And in the, and the weird thing is that in the director's cut, it's not as if that diner scene makes a lot more sense because what happens? Oh, yeah, it does come in <clears throat> and then all the chuds attack it, mm -hmm. but you don't really know what happens. It sort of just stops once yeah. they attack the, the, the diner. <laughs> and then yeah. later on in the movie, when Wilson is uh, standing outside with all the police and uh, people nearby and, and, yeah. and reporters, television reporters, Politos. then you can see like, <clears throat> like bloody windows in the background in the diner. Yeah. So, you know, 
some shit went down, but you, we don't really know what happened. But we're told that I guess some bad shit happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a bit more confusing, and I I definitely prefer the director's cut to the theatrical cut for that reason. Um, yeah. Um, now, getting shooting a little bit for, uh, earlier, who were some of the people that uh, Bosch and Daniel Stern are talking to when they go to? <laughs> I mean, they go and talk to Wilson. Who are the other people they're also talking to? I think it's a police commissioner. Yeah, it's but a chief of police the, or police who commissioner. Who else is in? Is the mayor? Is the mayor one of them? I was they like, really get a strong meeting going. <laughs> it's like every authority figure in New York uh, has shown up because they know something's afoot here. They know these guys have discovered something. Um, but do they pretty, know? Isn't Wilson the no. only one that knows it? <laughs> But yeah, like he yeah. really got like a large meeting with many different uh, I, 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 people and apparently a, a government branch that I didn't realize was that important, which is the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. I didn't realize <laughs> they oh, didn't know about the NRC. Yeah, I did not know wow. they were not only are they are they basically a uh, a government arm that will take over any situation. It's like they are apparently above the FBI. Like we will take yeah. it from here. <laughs> Yeah. When it comes yeah. to that diner, they're like, "We got this. We're we are the NRC, so we're yeah. and he's, down. And he's carrying Wilson's carrying a gun with him the entire time. Like I know Wilson's packing. Like he's packing heat the entire he's time. Packing like, heat. Yeah, he's packing heat. He's packing heat that he uses so poorly. <laughs> he's such like, a terrible yeah. shot. You're you're within you know slapping distance of Bosch. Just shoot him. He's like, I well, can shoot you. He, but he eventually does well, shoot him. I know, but, but... he should have shot him in the yeah. Yeah, he, he's, he's not a great shot. In fact, <laughs> yeah. the best driver. He's also not a great driver. He's also not a good driver. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, 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 quite frankly, very bad at his job. Uh, his performance yeah. review after this must have been terrible. <laughs> well, I think this there is some truth to that because uh, George Martin, who plays Wilson in the movie, actually could not drive. So he, oh, that's right. <laughs> when he, take the, <laughs> so for real, when he has to drive that truck, he, he actually cannot, uh, <laughs> Eric is looking at a picture of George Martin. I'm looking Martin at a speak. more current picture of George Martin. My God. Is that, Ooh. is that he couldn't drive because he had his license taken away or was he like a part of, was he a descendant of the Rockefellers and never felt he needed to drive and always <laughs> had so much. He was from, he was did, a New York actor just, and I just. Did he just ride around in New York all the time in a private car? And <laughs> he's just like, why do I ever need to drive? I am an actor and yeah. I'm a member of a very rich family. Yeah. Well, so, he's getting money under the table from the NRC <laughs> to do this. The NRC. Right. Yeah, right. of course. <laughs> yeah, little did you know that was the only true part of the movie was there really is an NRC and they're like, we need to up our uh, our PR a bit. So can. Can you play us straight? <laughs> yeah, and then he failed. Yeah, he's like the slimiest guy, that. too. He, yeah. He's so good at looking disgusted in this movie. <laughs> you know? And he turns into the bad guy, like, basically midway midway through and uh, really puts the chuds aside in terms of being the villains of the piece for a good chunk of it because, uh, yeah, you know, he, he becomes the, the big bad, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought, I mean... <clears throat> You correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, but don't you feel like gas would have just made the chuds stronger instead of killing them? When he's like, we're going to gas them. 
If there yeah. are any chuds because of toxic waste, don't you think that pumping gas into the sewers would have just made them high as a kite and they would have been running around down there like, you know, yeah. just going crazy, like punching through the manhole covers and coming up just. Well, that's where they cover. Well, evidently, the it, evidently in New York, there's only three manhole covers. And they got right. those already covered. <laughs> uh, All they had to do is put a couple trucks over them, put the truck wheels on them. Right? How how much gas do you need? There, I mean, I there's seventy four, there's seven thousand four hundred miles of tunnel under New York City. Oh. How much gas? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I tried research. to do the number. I tried to do the because you need you need about two hundred to five hundred cubic feet of air for like to work safely underground. I tried to do like one mile, one cubic mile equals how much cubic feet? Because I was trying to do the math of like, okay, well, how much gas would you need if you were to say 500 cubic feet of of natural air? You'd also replace it with 500 cubic feet of toxic gas or whatever. But a cubic foot to a mile is like 10 digits of a difference. I'm like, it became a ridiculous number that I was like, I don't, there's no way you could pump that much gas. Especially out of just a couple trucks into the sewer system and be effective. <clears throat> it apparently <laughs> felt it was not questioned by anybody because all the authority figures are very much like, well, if it's a problem, we just gas them. So they're all pretty much on board and feel like, and, and I agree with you, Erica. I don't understand like these creatures that have mutated out of like toxic waste. How is gas going to hurt them? Yeah. Like, that right. was if anything, there's a part of the whole movie to me. <laughs> if anything, there's a that would kill them. That's the one thing I didn't believe. <laughs> right, it would just amp them up like cocaine. Yeah, it's their I cocaine. Get them you know? If toxic waste turns these, like, <laughs> <laughs> they, they, I mean, they they eat gas. That's yeah. like their meal. That's yeah, I like yeah. they just would have been down there like, mm, oh, this is great. Ooh, I got gas yeah. soup. You yeah. guys make some gas soup. Yeah. If anything, there's kind of a missed opportunity there because the whole tagline and the whole thing is they're, you know, the way they marketed this movie was saying they're not staying down there anymore. So you're expecting a scene where the chuds are like, we're breaking out, we're coming out and they're, they, you know, burst out of the sewers are attacking people everywhere in a mad, you know, frenzy. Right. And I feel like the, a missed opportunity with the gas thing is that if, the, if they bumped that up a little and not treaded water in other areas, that could be the thing that pushes them out. And instead of trying to break out of the manholes in Soho, where the whole, the whole movie, apparently New York is just Soho in this movie, <laughs> but, but like then they could, you know, bust out uh, elsewhere. They run through somewhere else in the sewer and bust out or attack subway trains. I mean, there's so many missed opportunities there. I know the budget yeah. was, a bit, was small, but... I feel like that could the gas could have been a catalyst for that, and that would have really reflected badly on the government officials, you know, trying to contain this thing. It's like, oh, yeah, that well, would have been a great like the... third act kind of move where they're like, great, now you yeah. try to gas them, and now they're all out of, you know, you've now they've all escaped. And yeah, now you'd have, have a scene where, the, yeah, where it Wilson could have been something as there. simple as like simple as like one manhole cover, just like whoa, like. Like, yeah, like thrown up, and it's like like rolling wobbling and it's like on, wobbling on, back on the, and falls down, and then you just see in the distance like a blurry or like a chud just going into the fog. That's all it would have taken. I think the right or a scene that... where like Wilson is standing there in front of one of the manholes, and he's like, "Gentlemen, we did it. Well done!" And suddenly the manhole just goes flying off, and these chuds just come <laughs> bursting out and just yeah. rip him to shreds. I mean, if I have one criticism 
about this movie, it is that I, I, I again, I love this movie. I love the creatures. We're, but we're always seeing, you know, you and you made me think of this, Ryan, when you brought up the bloody diner windows and that attack, that attack, we're always seeing the beginning of an attack and then the aftermath, but we rarely get, I think the weakest thing that I want out of this movie is seeing an actual attack, like some, a, a creature attacking a human. So we know what they do, that they're eating them and shredding them. And like, we just don't get that. And, you know, I mean, maybe it's the gore hound in me that wants that, but I, that's the one thing we don't get a lot of in this movie. Like even the scene where Peter Michael gets is in the uh, phone booth with his granddaughter and, complaining right he also talk about a great actor who has two lines in this movie (laughs) he's like i I, you gave me the directions but they're shit and then suddenly he's getting you know he gets attacked but we don't see it we just see the dangling phone and apparently they would have given him a a bigger part but he was doing brighton beach memoirs i believe at the time so they couldn't oh is that what it was okay yeah yeah Yeah. he never Um, was a huge film name but he did a lot of great theater i saw him in several plays in new york when i was living there yeah, I, think I that, wouldn't that, have necessarily been calling to complain about the directions. I would have been like, hey, I'm walking around with my granddaughter at 10 o'clock at night in Soho. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when are you coming to get me? Like, <laughs> you, you know, when I get to your house, I'm going to punch you in the fucking face because I've had to walk around <laughs> at night and I'm scared to death. <laughs> yeah. Also, I have to poop. I need to get inside. <laughs> Because I need yeah. to use the restroom. It's 10 o'clock at night. I've been with this child all day. I can't take her into a restroom. I'm a grown man. She's a little girl. <laughs> I need to poop somewhere. Yeah, that's amazing that you could feel. I dump it. Yeah. <laughs> that's that amazing you could feel that uh, subtext because that's totally something not many people know is that that was part of his character yeah. work. Is that well, he's a good I'm going to play this scene as <laughs> someone who has diarrhea. What's my motivation for this scene? <laughs> <laughs> really diarrhea. Dump. <laughs> I've been holding it up poop for hours. Yeah, especially because they, they that that little block where that guy goes into the phone booth looks like um, it actually made me have some huge respect for the production design of Escape from New York, where I know they shot that mm-hmm. in a sort of mostly burned out St. Louis. But uh, yeah. I was like, boy, New York at that time looks like crap because then they they have a uh, featurette on the Blu-ray where they show you the locations now. And it's like, it's night and day. It looks so different. And it looks like absolute shit at the time. And I know they did not have the money to like dress anything up. The only money they had was to put the phone booth there because the phone booth doesn't actually exist in that, in that part of town. There was never a phone booth there. They put the phone booth in just for the scene and its proximity Mm -hmm. to the manhole cover. But um, (laughs) other than that, it looks like they just walked into the shitty ass block of New York and were like, let's go. And I'm like, why are you walking around? What has happened to him that he's walking around this section of New York at night with his granddaughter? (laughs) Something's going awry with your evening, sir. (laughs) Uh, Probably some sort of home alone shenanigans. Mm -hmm. I imagine that's what I imagine. It probably yeah, someone, sure. uh, you know, the wet bandits got to their house and flooded everything. <laughs> That's why they don't have luggage with them. That's why they're just walking around. They're like, everything got flooded. And that's why once the grandfather gets pulled out of the phone, the phone booth, the do- the granddaughter is just, just sits there and just blankly stares out because she's just like, what a day. Yeah, that's a good question. Do the chuds, and maybe this is a question for Matt. Do the chuds prefer adult human meat over ch- over child meat? Well, I would I would thought I'm asking Matt. Oh, okay, chill out. 
<laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Uh, I, I would say no question. Based on who we see get attacked and who we see get eaten, I think the Chuds prefer adult meat. I think they still retain uh, 5% of their empathy directed at children. <laughs> and I think they mm. are sympathy for children. I think that I think, I think it's five percent. They have a lot of chuds to feed. There's a lot of chuds to feed, and kids. There's not enough meat on the kids' bones yet. You know, they like hardened old meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like when Gross. they have a little blonde kid who's trying to like grab his toy, and the door Jonathan, keeps. Jonathan, I think. I don't think that. I don't. It, maybe they, they do say his name a thousand times, so it's a shame that I don't remember it. But. Bosch? Uh, Bosch. <laughs> Bosch. That's right. Jonathan Correct. Bosch. My son's there's, missing too. Oh. There's there's 14 characters <laughs> in this movie named Bosch. Um, when he's going out to get his toy and then he comes back and then he gets another toy and then and the, the Chud is banging on the door. I didn't think he was ever going to get it because Chuds don't eat kids. They eat adults. Kids, I, yeah. kid would, that would have been like a snack. That's a between meal snack at best. Mm-hmm. That's not going to really <laughs> get it going. He gave the kid a break. Yeah. Um, should we move on to things we loved? Things we hated? Uh, oh, uh, is that directed at me? I wasn't <laughs> yes. prepared to answer any yes. questions. Uh, <laughs> yes, sure. Uh, should Mark? <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, let's speed it up. Uh, things we loved. No, no, no. He was asking me if I was, I was ready. I'm you were into it. I'm just, asking, I'm just asking Erica. Yeah. I'm just wondering if there's anything else you have in your notes you wanted to, to, to chit chat about. Um, no, I think that um, I did appreciate that. I, I I I laughed at the opening scene, which I know we already covered when Bosch's wife is walking down the street and the hand comes out and pulls her under the manhole. Because <laughs> just imagine, like, it's under a manhole and you're, only a hand comes out and grabs her ankle. If you're under that manhole, you can't see what's above you. So I just imagined that this chud was doing this time and time again, like <laughs> fishing for legs. <laughs> right. Probably surprised and delighted when he reached his hand out and was like, I got one. I can't believe I finally <laughs> was, got one. It all it, it worked. <laughs> Holy shit. I, you guys laughed at me. And I when I said I was just going to reach my hand out and I would get somebody. And it happened. So I, uh, I, I wouldn't like say Bosch, that was just. I also feel like Bosch could have been sadder about the dog. He doesn't want. He doesn't once mention that his dog is missing. Well, he's he, just all about his wife. He de- he never says. By the way, my dog is also missing. What the hell, Bosch? I think wife probably trumps dog. You know what I mean? Well, thank like you I... for saying that. But <laughs> you know. I don't know. I just thought it was odd that he never he never mentioned his dog missing. Well, I think for most of the movie, until he finds his wife's head, he believes that she is just missing and he's going to be able to find her. Mm. Um, right, right, right. So Which that's is why he's why. completely okay to at the end of the movie when he's been shot and he's lying on the street and the Reverend Daniel Stern doesn't call the other cops over. He's just patting him like, you just lay there and relax. You're good. He caresses his face. He just caresses his face. You're good. Yeah. I know that you have you were shot in the back at point blank range, but I'm sure you're fine. Just relax. <laughs> it's, it's all okay. When you've been shot in the back, the thing that you need is somebody gently caressing your cheek. That's yeah. how you, that's, 
That's mm-hmm. holistic healing at its at its finest, right there. That's not like yeah. it's hurt. That's it hurts as bad as like an iron to your face or a real severe burn on your hand, <laughs> right, Mark? I mean, this guy knows pain. He he basically stepped on like a thousand tiny little toys mm-hmm. and slipped around and yeah. fell, mm-hmm. and he, did, yeah. he only could he could only hope that his more diminutive partner could have just gently caressed his cheek mm-hmm. in those moments, but. <laughs> well, he might have been. He might have been petting Bosch and saying, "Listen, some little kid has just poured, has just put black ice all around you. If you stand up, you're gonna fall. <laughs> just lay down for a little while. <laughs> I've ordered a little Nero's pizza, and they'll be here shortly. <laughs> just hang in there. Oh man, this extension of the John Hughes verse is really like it's pretty, pretty intense. Yeah, because it also includes love letters at this point, right? Yeah. Because Right, because because remember her character oh is the uh, uh, um, Amy Madigan uh, mm-hmm. who plays Uncle Buck's uh, girlfriend. Yeah, it's the Buckaburst. It was the Buckaburst. It was remember we talked about her yeah. in the Love Letters episode. Of this yeah, being yeah. sort of like earlier in her life before she moved to Chicago and uh, hooked up with Uncle Buck, she was just a good friend to Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, so, I mean, New New World is really just the beginnings, the prequels or sequels of Home Alone. It was a real um, rep company. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the beginning of Home Alone. I don't know if I said this earlier, but I think, you know, to go back to what you're saying about uh, having more chuds, I think the reason why they didn't is because th- this movie, really, the director, the original writer, the cast, they wanted to make a different movie. And it's really Boneem that is pushing those creatures. Um, Mm. and I think that, uh, did I say this earlier? I may have, but, um, John Gaglione actually says uh, that during the creation of the Chuds, like he was just dealing strictly with Andrew Bonin. And then once they were on set, then he dealt with the director. So like all that stuff was, I think, pushed on them. So I think that's why this movie feels like a little uneven because the creature stuff that clearly Bonin was trying to sell the movie on and wanted to, this movie to be about. That's not what the movie ends up being because everyone else in, in the movie, including the original <laughs> writer, director, the cast, they were hoping to make a different kind of movie than this creature feature that Bonium was trying to force this to, into being. Yeah, it feels like that, like the two camps thing you brought up before and what you're talking about now kind of was a theme throughout the whole production. And you can really feel it in the production side of it. And then in some of the interviews I read and heard, it seems like in post it was totally Bonim. Um, pushing things around in particular with the uh, with the composers, which we haven't really talked about. And that's a pretty fascinating thing too. It was Correct. The, yes. In the movie, it's credited to uh, Cooper Hughes. Mm-hmm. For the longest time, I thought it was one person until uh, I heard their interview on the Aero disc. And it's, uh, mm-hmm. I guess it's a, it's a commentary, a, sm- a short commentary. Yes. And an, an interview both... slash commentary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they were, um, two members of OMD orchestral maneuvers in the dark who had that hit single, if you leave in the eighties and they both wanted to be composers as well. And they bonded over similar films. And so they created the synth score. They would steal (laughs) synthesizers and other instruments out of the OMD like storage room at night and go work on the music for this movie and then return the stuff, hoping the other band members didn't know about it. (laughs) And apparently their aim (laughs) <laughs> their aim was to um 
they really liked Vangelis and wanted to create a Vangelis-like score, which this isn't at all. I don't think it's a bad score. It's weird and sort of atonal and has weird rhythms and percussion to it. Um, and the main theme is bizarre, but it's certainly not Vangelis-like. But I like it. Um, but those guys, to get back to the point, they were said they when they were doing the score, they were totally dealing with just Bonim. Yeah, in because they they never even met Douglas Cheek. Every time yeah. you guys say Bonim, I just keep thinking of Jolene, the Dolly Parton Bonim, song. That's Bonim. all I can think of. Yeah. Oh <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, in the commentary, they actually say when his credit comes up uh, or their credit comes up uh, for Co- Cooper Hughes, he was like, "Yeah, don't know him, never met him." So he, the director, was hmm. at least at the time they recorded this, which was, yeah. I think that commentary was really uh, for the 2001 Anchor Bay DVD. So yeah, uh, but at that point in time, he 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 was unaware as well that it was two different people from OMD. <laughs> Isn't and, that wild? Yeah, and he at one point even complains and says, "I kind of wish they put more music in this thing." But if we yeah. are still going down the things we love, things we hated. We are going to go there. We're going there right now. Let's do it. <laughs> that was also one thing that I loved. I'll go there. I'll go there. Let's start it. I loved the music. And I loved how that just like weird, unsettling sound that would happen when a chud appeared. of like, yeah. And like, it just made it so much more intense, I guess. And like, un- yeah, un- those stingers are super and, intense. Yeah. Loved it. You okay. Yeah. All right. Anything else that you loved? I mean, I loved that. I loved John Hurd's girlfriend. That actress, what's her name? I'm blanking on it. Kim Greased. Yes, Kim, Kim, Kim Greased. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that she was always brawless. You know, um, <laughs> the titty count is something that is near and dear to my heart. And while the titty count, I'm pretty sure, was zero on Pretty this, much a zero, yeah. Um, I loved that she was always brawless just mm. at all times terrifically terrifically brawless loved it no there is a scene where um kim grease gets in the shower mm-hmm. and we'll talk about this scene probably a little bit later um <clears throat> but uh they did shoot a scene they did shoot because there's a special feature there but they did they shoot the extended version of that scene where they did use a body double and there were boobs they actually brought in i believe a uh, yeah, and, who uh, was it? Porno, or por- porno actress, I believe, that they brought in. Yeah, it was somebody to... of note. <laughs> right. It was. Uh, I can't remember the name of that person either, Matt. So I, I think you're yeah. going to do a body double. Just get a body that just doesn't look anything like yours. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, yeah. It like, wasn't have my too body far double off, but... just be someone t- with a completely different body type. <laughs> that's what I want. That's the dream. Guys. It was very short, but they show it. And it's funny that that's like a special feature because they're like, oh, no, no, we did have boobs at one point in time in this movie. We just cut it out. So they, I believe they, in fact, the director says that he shot it and he didn't even really want to, but he did. And then they cut another, it out. So Boneem actually cut it out. Yeah. Boneem. So he took that out. All right, Mark. Please don't um, take my boobs, Boneem. <laughs> Mark, the things, things that you loved? Um, I, You know, I think because I watched the right version, there were just enough. There's just enough gore. I I totally agree with you, Matt. That like there, it was all like pre and post killing gore, um, which is always to me like the telltale sign that someone didn't have enough budget. So we're not gonna actually we can't show what's actually happening because we don't have money for that. But you know when they uh, when. 
John or no, Daniel Stern's character goes or the John Hurt's uh, character goes down and uh, sees that the one guy has been kind of half eaten in the corner. And I'm like, wow, that, that it looks pretty darn good. It's pretty gross. Like the one guy who has his leg bit, like looks really, I mean, it was some nice gore effects there. Yeah. Ultimately the, my favorite is the scene when, uh, uh, John Hurd's uh, girlfriend is in the shower and the blood sprays up on her when she's trying oh. to unplug the drain. <clears throat> yes. I, I did yes. not. I mean, she's, but she's yanking on this thing. I'm thinking, okay, something's going to come up. I didn't see that coming. And I was like, that looked same really good. I was yeah. like, bravo. That was solid. That was I, one of my favorites. If I can jump in on that too, that shower scene, I knew was going to come up in the things that we loved. Cause it's also in the thing that uh, I love. Cause I love not only that it happened that all of a sudden she's trying to take a hanger and, and unclog the drain and blood shoots out what she's, hit what what vein i guess is there a chud in the drain i don't know <laughs> yeah um we don't know but what happened because we don't know anything that happens other than blood shoots out and then afterwards she has clearly done what i wouldn't have had i done a similar thing and tried to use a hanger to unclog a drain and blood shot all over me she has just cleaned herself up mm-hmm. put on her makeup dress herself and is now quietly contemplating and chilling out in her apartment. Like, yeah, just I mean, rearranging her just, flowers. just like, all right, well, back to what I was doing earlier instead of freaking out and going, what the fuck is just in the pipes? What the hell? Yeah, Why am a... I covered in blood? Like, that's what I be a night I just blood on my soap. Yeah, my soap is never going to be the same. It's bloody soap. <laughs> no, but see, Ryan, you're basing that on the fact that this is the first time this has happened to her. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't yeah. live in New York, so this could be like a daily in New York. In New York, and that happens know. all the time. So, <laughs> yeah, this just, could be the like reason everybody. why she puts her hands over her face is she's like, "Ugh, again." Right. Now I have she's to like, clean. Ugh. This is what it. This is what happens when you live in Soho. That's this why is just. This is why we're gonna buy my. Shower. This is why we're gonna buy my dad's house and move out to the suburbs because I'm tired of this. Because <laughs> right. we're gonna like fill a, a tub uh, for the for the kid, and then he's just gonna play around with the with the drain, and all of a sudden he's covered in blood. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Mark, did you have other things that you loved, or was that it? No, that's it. All right. Um, I know we're going to have a lot for, uh, for you to say, Matt, so I'm going to quickly go through mine. Um, personally, I love the guy stealing the dime from Daniel Stern before he made a phone call and just eating it. <laughs> oh, right. I forgot about that. And who was that guy? He pops up for another split second later, and maybe, I guess, he works for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission? I he don't does, know. Because he calls and says, that, the main guy calls and says, uh, he's just left the building, follow him. And I want to say that that the main when he gets on the phone when uh, Daniel Stern's character leaves the meeting and says he's just left the meeting or he's just left the building. Follow him. So he is he is from the regulatory commission. I also think that that actor, I believe, is one of Dan Aykroyd's friends in trading places. That's looking yes. for another person yes. to play squash. <laughs> that is, I was wondering where I knew him from. That is, yeah, yeah Mark. Wow. Yes, dead on, dead on. I could not remember. He's another guy that is just like, um, there's a million like that guys in this movie. 
that are yeah. just like, you know, guys, you're like, oh, who's that guy? Like, um, yeah, the Graham guy who Beckel, plays, who plays the unhinged. About to say. Is that yeah. who you were just going to say? Val, yeah. yes, yes. Val, yeah. He's in everything. And Val, uh, I guess, I loved his death because I was like, what happened? Like, did somebody slam the manhole cover on his head? Because he dies just trying to climb up that ladder. And then they lock the manhole cover. But was it just them slamming it down on his head that killed it? Like, I don't know. We only yeah, see the beginning confusing. and we see the end. We do not yeah. see the middle. So I have no clue. This sort of a mystery death. Um, yeah. uh, but the guy stealing the dimes, that was just terrific. And then um, there's a lot of like back and forth between Bosch and Wilson where they're sort of like vying for power and sort of like, you know, uh, uh, you know, trying to up one up one another. But one of my favorite moments is that when they're going underground and they have those monitors around them and Wilson's sending in his men and then finds out that Bosch has also sent in his men. And then he says, well, you got to get your men out of there. And he says, well, you've, your guy has a camera. Mine has a flamethrower. Yeah. And then it cuts to Wilson and the guy next to him just sort of like hands him a cup of coffee. And Wilson just kind of looks at him. It's just like, <laughs> I just love that moment. Like the guy's like, he kind of got you on that one. Here's a cup of yeah. coffee. Yeah, this will make you feel better. <laughs> Nothing makes me feel better when I've been owned than a cup of coffee. <laughs> um, also, you got to love a movie where like the biggest twist in it is the fact that um, the movie itself is an acronym and there's not one but two different acronym breakdowns. Like, I mean, like the yeah. big twist is like, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it, there's a different breakdown of Chud that it really is. And that's the big twist in it. So, uh, um, yeah, I just scooted past my note Contamination here. hazardous urban dumping or urban disposal. Urban disposal. Yes. Is that and dumping? Yes, exactly. Uh, urban dumping. <laughs> that was the early draft. <laughs> Not urban dumping. That's it. Um, uh, now, this moment, too, where they have the second twist was, or the second acronym, that apparently is something that Daniel Stern says that he and uh, he came up with, I think, with Christopher uh, Curry. I don't but, know, at this point, just relax, Daniel Stern. I know. I mean, my God, he's really like, oh, I did this, I did that. He's, real, he's into this movie. As a matter of fact, I read, an interview, I read an interview with him uh, with the AV Club from a few years ago, and he has actually started to come up with a Chud musical. Oh, my God. And he's written like two, he has like two songs, apparently. <laughs> like, this guy's into Chud. Like, Daniel Stern has, had, like, has a pretty him. long story career, but he's like, I got to go back to Chud. <laughs> I'm putting all my eggs in the Chud basket. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I can live off those Wonder Years checks for the rest of my life, but yeah. and that'll help well, me make this Chud musical. I I'm I'm in his camp on that. I I think this movie, and I, we'll get to this, I guess later. I I definitely want to talk about it, but I think there's this movie has a lot of potential for a remake, and I it's well, amazing it hasn't happened. Rob Zombie was at one point discussed yeah. to be the person to be to to remake this but i that was he was one I think of them. a while ago so i i would imagine that that's uh as the business would say in turnaround i would imagine that that's no longer developing with him <laughs> but who knows yeah, um, his his stint was pretty brief i mean if you want i can tell you i found a few yes of these. yes please please um so rob zombie was 
he mentioned it in an interview. I think it was very short lived. Someone who really pursued it for a while was Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith Ooh. really wanted to do a Chud remake. And by the way, I think part of the reason people want to remake it is it seems like studios and big time producers are always after properties that are recognizable, even if they already have made a lot of money and, and were already great to begin with. And the great thing about remaking something like Chud is it's fine, but you can see the potential of another version or a remake. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. why I, I like, I've always preferred remakes that take something like this and try to do it one better or do it seven times better. So I think that's why a lot of filmmakers, different filmmakers that really have tried. Um, but anyway, Kevin Smith was one of them. And apparently the problem he ran into at that time, which was in the early, late nineties, early two thousands was he just couldn't figure out who owned it. Like there was, it was the rights were a mess at that time. Okay. And it yeah. got so daunting that it became a fruitless endeavor. He just gave up. But then at some point in the mid two thousands, the rights issue must've been figured out because whoever had the rights, whether it was Boneem again, or whoever has the new world library at that, or whoever had it at that time, or whoever had the rights, uh, hi- started hiring writers to write uh, remakes. And one of those writers was Zach Stenz. Uh, Zach Stenz, who wrote uh, Thor, yeah, and I believe. Yeah. And uh, X-Men. Uh, X-Men, yeah. And he was approached and actually wrote uh, a script. And I, I kind of did some digging and I found him replying to people talking about Shud Remix on Twitter. And he, he kind of spilled the beans on some things about it. And uh, one of the things I wrote down here that he said when someone was asking about it, he said, yeah, it's a fun premise. NYPD squad busts a gang of international bank robbers trying to hack a deep underground server vault. Trying to get out, they take a wrong turn underground and end up in the hunting ground of the Chuds. Die Hard takes a left turn into the descent. So that's cool. Yeah. And then yeah. someone I was asked about him. To say, it sounds like the descent. So that, that'd be. Yeah. That'd, yeah. And then someone asked him about like particular scenes and he said his favorite scene in it was a riff on Lovecraft's The Statement of Randolph Carter where. One of the guys gets lowered into a pit, I assume on like a wench or something. They're lowering him down. And he narrates the increasingly horrific things that he's seeing as he gets lowered and then he gets attacked. And, you know, and I mean, that would be a great scene, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, but none of these things came to fruition. And I think it's interesting that that never happened because I think it's, it could be a great remake, you know, as long yeah, as those I mean- creatures look the same. <laughs> yeah, you cannot do anything new to the design. Yeah, please keep um, the design the same. You're right. This definitely feels like, even in the director's cut, it still feels like like a like a a really good solid rough draft for a movie. Right. Um, <laughs> with like really game performances. You know, like everybody's really. I think just about everybody in this movie is like really giving this movie way more than it deserves. And I think that's what people love about it so much is that they yeah. love the potential. They they love the potential of it mm-hmm. as much or more than the actual film. Right, right. There are other things that you love since we're in that since we're in that section, uh, uh, Matt. Other things that you love from the movie, real quick. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I was gushing about everything before and the creature design. I mean, getting molecular and and in terms of moments. I mean, we we're talking about the actors in it and the performances. I think both John Hurd and Daniel Stern really give it their all considering where they were in their career. Not that they had exploded, but they really go for it. And in particular, John Hurd, I mean, I know Daniel Stern is doing some scenery chewing and he's Mm -hmm. got some great lines, but John Hurd has some 
great, honest reactions to things. And we were talking about the J.C. Quinn character earlier when he gets pulled into the tunnel. Sure. The reporter. Who plays the reporter, yeah. Um, yeah. By the way, another great character actor from The yeah. Abyss yeah. and Maximum Overdrive. I mean, this guy yeah. has been in so many things and he's great in this and super weird in this. But when John heard when, <laughs> when he, he hangs pulled, out behind them at the park, it's like, what is that guy it's, doing? <laughs> it's so weird and pedophilic. It's so strange. But he's he, but when when John Hurd gets pulled or when he when J.C. Quinn gets pulled into the tunnel, John Hurd's reaction is one for the I don't know that there's been a better reaction yeah. in a horror yeah. movie to someone getting killed because he he tries to save him and then he wants to run and then he goes back and then he just has a ment a meltdown and then he runs there's so much happening he grabs the gun and he's just kind of like wait what do i do and then he like kind of <laughs> yeah. grabs the gun and then he's like should i shoot ah, i'm i'm running and then like he takes off it's like you really see yeah. him sort of try to like cobble together like what's the right reaction to doing this it's yeah yeah and so, and he just does them all <laughs> yeah like, he just does them all and yeah. the other one that he has is you know, this movie's full of moments where these great actors are covering for mediocre writing with great, they just go for these moments. And Hurd doesn't mind kind of being an asshole in this movie. Like his character is an asshole in a lot yeah, of scenes. Yeah. And when he agrees to shoot uh, his girl, Kim Greased, his girlfriend's uh, perfume ad shoot, uh, he he gets really irate about what they're trying to sell, selling this perfume with her naked body. And he just has this, like he start. I can't remember the exact line, but he's like, they know what they're selling. They know how to do it. And they're using you to, to get it done or whatever the line is. And it's yeah, so yeah. committed. It's just so committed. Uh, and that's one of my, I guess what I'm saying is one of my favorite things is his performance in this movie. Yeah. He's pretty great. Yeah. Um, he, you, and he yeah. normally always plays like an asshole with the exception of, well, depending on your perspective, the home alone movies, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, uh, he he doesn't always play like this kind of lead. He normally plays like yeah. the, the second or third you know build person, and he's playing kind of the asshole authoritative figure. He's basically playing Wilson, mm-hmm. I think. I feel like in a lot of movies, he is. He is. Where he yeah, got, he and get, I think got... it's. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think that's what's interesting about him in this movie is that he he still retains a little bit of the edge. Like he rounds out the character with some edge and some, you know, he really stands by what he believes in. But he's the hero. I mean, he's the kind of the lead guy in this movie. I mean, I guess you could argue really the three guy, like really the four of them, Ken Greist and Christopher Curry, Daniel Stern and. They, they kind of all have to come together at the end. I feel like we get in more Wilson. we get more personal with with John Hurd, particularly in the director's cut yeah. when you find out that they're going to have a kid and you you look you know you meet his girlfriend. I think we I think that kind of propels him a little bit ahead of Christopher yeah. Curry and Daniel Stern in terms of being the lead. But let's switch yeah. gears. What are the we never really get we never get to we never get to see her reaction though when he tells her that he's already got three kids. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. well the only the only other we, thing we could, i was gonna we could, say we could name him buzz oh where, where, where'd you come up with that name like oh i i don't know i just always you know liked <laughs> always liked that name and i don't know maybe he would be a, a kid i would like you know with the name buzz i like the name buzz the, the only other thing to, I, I don't want to keep rambling about this, but the only other thing I really love, the only other thing I'll say that I really love is the scene where Kim Greist has to fight the chud that's trying to kill her, that yes. Yes. through her wall, and yes. she grabs the samurai sword off the yes. wall. That fight, 
is fucking awesome. And yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that she is hiding in the dark room, throws photochemical solution on its face, which causes its neck to extend in this incredible animatronic sequence that Caglione created. And they, I mean, they use every trick in the book between the ex- extendo head, which is kind of like the one in evil dead two. And they're mm-hmm. using like the reflective paint for the eyes and it's the photochemical gag. And then she grabs the samurai sword off the wall and chops its head off and it sprays green. Goo. I mean, that sequence is awesome. And the green goo I feel like is, that's the is, scene. is from those little, uh, those little oh, the glow uh, sticks, the glow sticks. Yeah. Yeah. They just oh, that... So they took all the glow stick juice out of it and that's what they use for the blood. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I just, that scene goes for broke and I, it's the, I think that's the highlight of the movie is her. It, it, and, it, and it shows like to, to your earlier point, it shows like, had you had a few more scenes like that, Chuck yes. would have been like really terrific. Cause like, it that showed, up, yeah. like again, if you had even used just a couple of those moments, like in the diner scene where even you see people with less success, but you kind of see some of those moments rather than, you know, yeah. just, be, but I think like the, I bet the creatures in the diner scene were probably shot separately breaking glass and yeah. the diner itself was just shot on a different day. And then they kind of inserted yeah. the monsters and we're like, nah, good enough. You know, well, well, it'll, yeah. it'll play, you know? And yeah, it, it but... feels like they had a day of chud footage. They just went and did chud inserts, chud. <laughs> yeah. second unit chud shit. You know? <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, that scene definitely is like, had they done more scenes like that, I think, you know, the movie actually would have been more effective as that sort of creature feature thing. So um, things that you hated. You are still talking about things you love. Me? Yeah, man. Just switching oh, gears. Uh, just switch it. I'll, I'll do it. I, things I hated. I Again, like we were just talking about, I think there should be more chud on human action. I don't mean sex. I mean attacks. But, well, I mean, well, you know, know what? No, why not? How about both? I mean, well, you know, yeah, let's not? have some sex. <laughs> yeah, I want to see some chud, chuds boning. Creature uh, pumping and- under... If that if that chud can extend its neck like that, imagine. <laughs> hmm? right? Thank you. There's just a chud uh, penis g- g- poking in different people's windows, and yeah, um, that breaks the diner window. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the last thing we see is this weird chud penis. Yeah. Protruding through Kevin, John Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith, if you're yeah. listening, you're welcome. <laughs> Take that and run. Um, yeah, uh, that's my biggest. That'd be my biggest note for this whole thing. <laughs> Would be more of that, but otherwise, um, yeah. Generally, the the you know, thank God we have the director's cut because that theatrical cut. I don't like the way it rearranged it. And it's a bit meandering, and uh, I think. Um, you know, you, you the the second and the first and second acts are so extended that the third feels rushed, and I just feel like it needed it needed some some fixes in the writing. I yeah. think is my biggest thing. You know, that's the thing. But it's I a fun movie. Was the theatrical cut like I, I that is it's an amazing thing to to watch both. Only in that um, you can really see like just rearranging a few things and then adding in a couple yeah. of different moments can make such a different experience. Uh, yeah, it's kind of an yeah. interesting I mean, lesson. Yeah, I don't think the movie deserves like, like I don't know if anyone's been watching the new iteration of the Joe Bob show, the last drive in Joe Bob show on Shudder. But the fir- I think the first movie he did in the first season was Chud. And he really lambasts it and talks about how much he hates it and mm. criticizes it a lot. And 
I'm sure part of that is that his idea of a great New York horror movie, which I think this is one of the great New York horror movies. It's a great New York movie. It's a great 80s New York movie. It authentically shoots locations and it's grimy. But I think the ones that uh, Joe Bob likes are sleazy, not necessarily just grimy. So he likes the Frank Henenlotter movies like Basket Case and Brain Damage. And and I just think the reason he probably doesn't like it is that this isn't sleazy enough for him. Sure. But it's certainly a dirty, gritty, grimy movie that doesn't pull its punches. I mean, you see the wife's head, you see there's a, there's a decent amount of gore, even if it's not as action oriented as it could be. Um, so I, you know, I disagree head. with him. Well, cameraman's this, head. This is, this yeah. is Soho, not 42nd street. So, you know, I think true. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So yeah. In, t- in total transparency, I, I had never, I had not watched this movie in its entirety until before recording this episode, uh, it's right a movie before? that's always been on uh, <laughs> uh, about two hours before, and I can do not. Um, and, and I had I had started to watch it a couple times, and most recently was for one of the uh, Joe Bob Briggs marathons. And I think he must have had the theatrical release, and I think I must have seen the theatrical release version prior to yeah. this, yeah, because yeah. I remember watching it. And getting about 20 minutes, 25 minutes in and being like, this movie is so fucking boring. All they're doing is talking. Like, there's nothing happening here. And when I watched it today, the pacing was a lot better. And I thought, well, I, I'm really enjoying this. What was I missing the first time? And I think it must have been the difference of the director's cut versus the theatrical <clears throat> cut. Although yeah, now yeah, I'm, in, I'm, in, mm-hmm. I'm inspired to watch the theatrical cut just to kind of see how the pacing is all off. Cause I found the pacing on the director's cut to be, to be solid. I mean, it keeps you interested. There's, you're learning enough about the characters. There's a, there's just the right amount of jump scares. It, I, it's very much a low budget movie, but it does it. It feels like they're working very hard to not make it look like a low budget movie. They're, they're right. giving you the right, the right jump scares at the right moment to keep you going. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, overall, like I really real, enjoyed it. And- real environments and like the sets like yeah. they they have the right blend so that you still feel like you're in when you're in a set it doesn't feel like you're in a set like i'm pretty sure pretty sure that apartment might be in a set and i know that there's there's some sections of that that's that are sets but it doesn't feel like it because they have so much like real locations it makes such a big difference to actually be huge difference like yeah. out in the city uh, or even the underground parts that were real like to try to re- to build some of those things. Um, yeah. But yeah, Mark, I, I, I think it does have, sorry, go ahead, Ryan. I was going to say, no, you're, I was just going to say that. Yeah. I remember you saying like, there's a lot of talking. And when I watched the theatrical cut, I remembered you saying that. And I was like, yeah, there is a lot of talking. This is a lot of just chit chat <laughs> uh, yeah. watching the theatrical cut, but watching the director's one is like, Oh wow. It's like, it's, it's not that it feels like it's not that wildly different. And yet somehow the effect is just so much different. It's really kind of fascinating to uh, watch those two versions. I also appreciate that it carries one of the, uh, one of the uh, big eighties, low budget movie tropes of what, no matter if you're a man or a woman, no matter if you're indoor or outdoor, the sound of your shoes on pavement is exactly the same all the time. <laughs> yeah. ADR. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Erica, what were some of the things you hated? I 
didn't really hate anything. I I think it's hate is too strong of a word. <laughs> this is your segment. I think that what I would say is I struggled. Okay. Good. With the tone of this movie. Mm. Mm. I is it funny? Is it tongue in cheek? Is it science fiction? Is it serious? Is it dramatic? I really couldn't put my finger on it. So that's what I hated. I hated that I was never really sure <clears throat> if I should be laughing. Yeah. Or be confused or disgusted. You know, the shower scene is a great is a great um example of that because when I first saw it I started cracking up laughing because it was a shot of like blood on the soap and I was like that's hilarious because it's just so gross like right, like right. also like who cares if it's on the soap like it was like it's on you and on the walls and on your soap like it just <laughs> yeah it's like the, the thing you're least concerned about yeah how so, are they gonna clean the soap right, off not my soap that was a fresh bar <laughs> so it's like it's practically new you never still see the indent of the of the logo yeah so also which (laughs) does she just get all of her uh shower accoutrement from hotel rooms like (laughs) does she just steal bars of soap (laughs) like yeah who uses a bar of soap like that anymore yeah hey it's new york dude that's all they could get was just with there's no washcloths there's no that's right that's all they just said straight bars and a bar of soap (laughs) by your your shower yeah so that's what i didn't like i'm curious to hear what you guys think because i kept saying to ryan like is this a funny movie is this funny is it supposed to be am i should i be laughing right now or like am i the tone deaf one and ryan is super into it and he's like this is very serious stop laughing and i just don't get it i wasn't sure no i I think that's totally fair and i think the that's because i feel like this movie is being pushed and pulled by several different people you know the producer is on one end the director the writer is on one end the 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 cast is like rewriting things and improvising a lot of the you know a lot of what they improvised made it into the movie um i think John yeah. Hurd even cracks up at it, or sort of he he makes fun of himself, but he has that line like "Glad they deliver" or "Good thing they deliver," yeah. I think is what he says. And <laughs> that was just a just a, a line he threw in. So I think there's a lot of that. And so because you have so many people that are kind of figuring out this movie is on the fly, I think it does feel like it's several different. The tone is definitely all over the place, which is why when we get into favorite scenes here, uh, my favorite scene, we've already talked about it, but that scene where Kim Greist is in the apartment alone with the Chud is my favorite. Cause I feel like the tone of that scene is, 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 is really well done. And and in the director's cut, it's, yeah. it's, it's put into the section where she is being attacked by this. It, it really does a nice job of going in between the different people. Like she's being attacked in her apartment. The guys are down uh, underground, uh, you know, um, Oh yeah. Uh, 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 Bosch is doing his thing. So we've sort of seen everybody move at the same pace. So it feels like that's where it really kind of found some footing. So favorite scenes, um, Mark, what's your favorite scene? Um, I, I, I hate to say it, but in you already brought it up, but it was when the dude just swallows the dime when he takes <laughs> the dime from his hand and swallows it because like, <laughs> it's great. It, the scene is like 27 seconds long. Yeah. Oh, for and sure. he swallows the dime and they just stare at each other. <laughs> yeah. And there's not a comment that's made. It's just like, 
I have nothing to say. And Daniel Stern's character, he just walks away. <laughs> and and to Erica's point, like that's a scene that like if you put into like, I don't know, some sort of comedy, like that would just be a, an unbelievably hilarious moment to just have that scene be anywhere in some movie where you try to make a phone call, the person steals your dime and swallows it. It's just so <laughs> hilarious and weird and great and their stare down is terrific and it's like what is yeah. this movie exactly but yeah like airplane it, or like make it gun or something yeah. like a... it feels like a very comedic moment and it is and it's great it's just it definitely feels like what is this doing in this movie um matt what was your favorite scene god i guess i already kind of covered it but the kim greased chud attack like that that battle is so great and you had a really good point they intercut really well like going from her to the guys down there and yeah that's like the highlight of the movie for me is that that attack yeah that's, that's when we're really kind of cooking at that point and things are really yeah. kind of moving and i feel like there's been a lot of like back and forth and some investigations and then some personal stuff and then but then this is where we're really sort of the the the, the movie's really kind yeah. of going at that point this is where the the chud starts to touch everyone you know the the <laughs> the, 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 the chud dilemma starts to really affect everyone's lives um uh, erica your favorite scene um that's oh geez that's hard the shower scene but i don't know it feels like it could but hilariously (laughs) i think my favorite scene is the scene is at the end when when daniel stern is caressing boss Bosch's face after Mm -hmm. he's been shot and then when the car explodes because i truly did not see that coming like that was truly (laughs) unexpected it was the last thing i thought would happen you know to your point earlier matt i felt like there was going to be you know he was going to be pulled down underground like there was going to be some sort of like chud revenge and the fact (laughs) that he's just like oh trying to drive this car and then it just explodes i I, again laughed because i'm like was that supposed to be funny because that's hilarious that like his big plan yeah there is this it wasn't until I watched it, I think, uh, a second time that there is a line that Wilson says they're outside the diner. His back is to the camera and he's talking to a couple other cops or I don't know, the mayor or I don't know, the governor of the state. I'm not sure, but uh, <laughs> government officials. And yeah. he basically says, like, and all the manhole covers are, are wired to blow. Right. So. He basically uh, says they're all like ready to explode. So he basically, it's it's like a line where they're it's like a throwaway. Yeah. It's a throwaway line when they have their backs to it. It's like an above shot, and it, it's just like a throwaway. Like everything's rigged to explode. Oh, I that. So so keep don't drive over them or something like that. So there's some cheap terrible line that they kind of throw yeah, in they in that spot. ADR, to, yeah, that yeah, line. to just kind of yeah. be like, oh, because his car is gonna, you know one wheel is going to touch the manhole and it's going to explode the entire right. truck. Um, well, thank goodness for listening skills are terrible. And I missed that yeah, I mean, line. Cause that it, the explosion was a complete surprise. It's not a surprise that you missed it. Cause it is a line you could very easily miss. It's a crucial piece of information that is tossed in as an ADR line. So, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> Could hearing undermine dialogue? <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Uh, so let's let's move on to the research corner, and then we'll do pairings, and then we will get out of here. But uh, briefly, the research corner is simply uh, that I watched Chud too, but the Chud. Oh boy! And uh, I don't know if anyone else has seen it. Oh. 
I have. Yeah. Uh, here it is. the music video that we're supposed to be watching but we can only hear? No, this is uh, the theme song for Bud <laughs> for Bud Chuck 2. Uh, Sounds like there was a tonal shift here. Oh yeah. Uh, I just wanted to get to the uh, the uh, chorus here. Let's keep it playing, Mark, here. Oh, oh alright. Okay. Uh, hold on. Now it's going to start over. Oh no. Don't start it over. Oh, don't start it over. Nope, you gotta get through the it. The rest of the Too late. Of the episode. <laughs> this is the rest. Of, this goes on for half an hour, everyone. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Have a great night. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best uh, thing about Bud the Judge, this song. <laughs> yeah, this song, which is played in a very, like, throwaway moment. Uh, sung by uh, Hip Lennon. Turn up a little louder here for you so we can really get it. I think we're almost there here. That when is, uh, I hear stuff like that, I think wow. there was a there was a studio <laughs> full of people yeah. going going. Um, one more time on that take. Can you yeah. get one more time on that <laughs> yeah. take? Uh, we almost got it. I need a little more emphasis on Bud. It's Bud the Chud. Come you on, okay, ready? Lower? Just get a little lower take, on your voice there. Take Bud. take fifteen. Let's go. Bud the Chud. Bud the Chud is, um, Chud 2 is, um, well, tonally, it, it is consistent all the way through. It's definitely It's more trying, consistent. <laughs> it is definitely <laughs> trying to be a comedy version. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the name Chud and the fact that there are Chuds is about the only link between the sequel and the original movie. Um, it was made to potentially have a theatrical release and it did not. It went straight to video and it was released in 1989 by New World uh, uh, competition at that point, uh, Vestron Pictures, who actually started because they wanted to do what New World had done in terms of New World video, sort of uh, capitalizing a lot on the straight to video market. So Vestron puts this out. It's uh, directed by a guy named David Irving. He didn't do a lot of note after this. And it was actually written uh, by Ed Naha, who was using the pseudonym M. Kane Jeeves, which I believe he got from W.C. Fields. But Ed Naha was one of the co-writers of uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And there is a little bit of that flavor in this movie because it's definitely trying to be a comedy. But it's definitely like a zombie comedy. I mean, it it turns the chuds into zombies and it has the main guy, Bud, is played by Garrett Graham, who you guys will remember was the comedic relief uh, for the Annihilators, if you remember uh, one of our previous episodes. 
The Annihilators. Oh, comedy and the yeah. Annihilators? Well, <laughs> there was brief moments of it. He was the real cut-up, the one who gets shot trying to save a kid in The Annihilators. He plays Bud the Chud, and he doesn't uh, have a ton of lines, but he's supposed to be just hilarious in the way that he is uh, awkward and then eats a lot of people. It is, uh, And then Brian Robbins from Head of the Class fame, uh, he is the other one of the other leads. And uh, God, who else is in it? It is. Uh, it is. Does it uh, have like June Lockhart in it or something? No, it does. Okay. It does have uh, confusing movies here. Yeah, it 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 does have a guy Jake in there. Who... more in it. <laughs> <laughs> if it, if it if 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 it had, I think I probably would have uh, liked it a whole lot more. To be perfectly honest, um, <laughs> because I think that would have been pretty terrific. Uh, and I and unfor- it's unfortunate that this is where the sort of uh, franchise kind of ends because it only has two here. Um, oh, yeah, Robert Vaughn. Robert, Robert Vaughn, Vaughn is the guy I'm thinking of. Robert Vaughn, who yeah. is largely in this movie and like really going for it, really living it up. And I, I think understands yeah. what kind of movie he's in. Uh, I think just about everybody understands they're in a pretty cheap 80s comedy <laughs> yeah. that is I mean, trying Garrett to... Graham- is doing his best with what he's oh, got to sure, do, but it's sure, just, he's, sure. it's such an adrift. It's, ooh, it's a rough sit. Yeah. It's like, they uh, get... June, June Lockhart is in it. Last oh, month. Oh, she is? She, she oh, is. Did she played the mom. That's right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You were correct. Boom. Um, <laughs> yeah. Doing research corners. <laughs> uh, also like Bianca Jagger is in it at the very tail end. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, she picks Ugh. up uh, Brian Robbins as he's deciding to leave and go off on Parts Unknown because he is now a chud as well. So you just will never stop the old chudness. The, the chud stuff is going to begin. So it is. Uh, it was. Uh, it was a grind. It's short, but that's what I watched. Uh, was I watched by the chud just so I could watch all the chud movies before we talked about this. And that's it. That's the research corner. <laughs> so now we're going to do there, one of the segments. Is there not? Is there not a? Uh, is there? There's not a third one. They stopped it too. And I'm honestly asking. I, I, yeah, yeah. Well, Chud, Chud Two. The other thing about Chud Two is originally it was supposed to be supposedly Return of the Living Dead Three. Oh well, that makes. And sense. then they changed the title to but Chud Two by the Chud. I can't remember where I read that. Um, but I'm pretty sure that's accurate. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was supposed to be wow. Return of the Living Dead 3. Because Return of the Living Dead 3 was also a Vestron movie, ultimately directed by Brian Usna, and it's kind mm-hmm. of comedic as well. Mm-hmm. But Usna, who also co-wrote Honey, yeah. in Front of the Kids. That's right. Yeah. It's all With tied Stuart together. Gordon and as well. And Society? Yes. Like, that guy is <laughs> yeah. all over yeah. the map. <laughs> well, Stuart Gordon <laughs> yeah. as well co-wrote that movie. That's the thing. Like, the guys who wrote Honey, I Shrunk the Kids... It's like, wow, okay. The guy yeah. <laughs> from the yeah. guy who brought you Reanimator. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this delightful Perfect. family movie. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think, yeah, I think this ended up being Chud 2, even though it was originally Return of the Living Dead 3. It, supposedly. it would, makes a lot more sense as a Return of the Living Dead movie. Uh, it does. It definitely follows and sort of, I would say, much less successfully, but it follows in the sort of Return of the Living Dead 2 kind of comedy where they were just yeah. like zombies are hilarious now right so it had yeah that, it had that kind of thing but there weren't and really I feel like many there's jokes. even a barrel 
I'm trying to remember if there aren't there barrels of not maybe not trioxin like it is in the Return of the Living Dead movies, but there's barrels in Bud. It's been a while since I've seen it. <clears throat> uh, there in might Chud be too, in the beginning. There? It really yeah. is just like uh, they decide they wanted to freeze all the soldiers that were Chuds. They were trying to create soldiers that would not that's, die in battle. Okay. That's right. <clears throat> and then, um, then they like somehow two high school kids find the the bud body and get him out of there and then of course yeah. lose the body as the you know <clears throat> the body is just like rolling down the street essentially and they're like yay you know you <laughs> he's the get stop the gurney like it's just yeah the dumbest like and how are these high school kids like where the, how are they in the cdc or whatever i don't it just it boggles the mind how this even starts but they let him out, and so then, this all, this this also could have been weekend at Bernie's three. For sure, if there's a portion of it where they is, totally. then they actually take the body who's still frozen or in, in frozen animation. They they drag him up, and then they like put him in the tub. And they had Robert Bonnet right. said, "All you got to do is like ele- put some electricity to him, and that will reenact the sort of like chud uh, synapse, and they will come back to to life." So of course <laughs> they put him in the tub, and they're just like, "What are we gonna do with his body?" And they're like, well, we got to drain this tub. And then they knock, like, I don't know, a hairdryer, something into the tub. And, of course, it reanimates it and he comes alive. And just and like then he Friday just goes about eating the town? I don't know. It's There's nothing. Right. To, then then part of it is that he finds a picture of one of the guys, one of their the friend. There's, like, two guys and then uh, one. there's a girl that rounds out the trio of friends. And he finds a picture of her. And then he just wants to find her and be with her. And he even really tries and and and... Once they try to trap all the chuds in the school pool, and then they're gonna like Mark, oh, you would have you would have liked this in terms of crunching the numbers because we there's definitely in these movies there's a lot of like fiddling with science. <laughs> it's like, well, let's stretch what science really means. And this one, like all you like, have to do to reanimate a dead body is just throw some electricity at it. And it just well, because back to life. because of the like whatever was in their bodies that made them chuds to begin with. I guess that's the thing that you know. And they freeze them with these things that look like fire extinguishers, and that apparently freezes them. Uh, anyway. So they take them all in the pool, and then I guess they like they get these tanks of I don't know what, but to I guess freeze the water and all of the chuds inside the water in the pool. I'm like, how is it like liquid nitrogen? I think, and it's like I I don't know about that, guys. (laughs) I'm no scientist, Uh, but I just don't know if that scientifically works for what you're trying to do. But anyway. That uh, Bud chases the girl like up the uh, uh, the diving board, and then he like even says to her like, "Please, like he just wants to be with her." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, that's actually a nice moment." Of course, they kill him uh, or try to. <laughs> um, as, to answer your earlier question, Mark, there was like there is an anthology called Chud Lives, which is like a tribute anthology that came out in 2018, and it has like. I, it has basically like a few like different bunch of different stories and maybe some shorts and like people talking about Chud. It's less like a sequel than I think more like a documentary of uh, where they're sort of appreciating Chud. I think that's as close to a trilogy as you're going to get, at least at this point. But um, now we're going to switch to one of our uh, newest segments. And by new, it Ooh. means it's something that we've kind of done quite a few times now. But um, I say new because it feels like 
some of us on this podcast haven't quite figured out what this thing is about, but it's called it's called pairings. It's it's not that uh, that that uh, unique. It's done on lots of other podcasts, and we're basically just going to pair this movie Chud with another film. Um, so you know, just like if you were going to do a double feature, you know, basically with Chud and another movie, another movie. Hmm. That's, I want to make sure that it's another movie um, that we're trying to ask for. So, um, Erica, uh, what would you want to do for your pairing for for this? Um, I thought a lot about this and I thought that I would (laughs) pair it with the live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Ooh, wow. You know, both involves some, you know, some shenanigans in the sewer, some toxic waste, you know, what could happen uh, when it goes right and what could happen when it goes wrong. Mm. (laughs) All right. Wow, very good. That's very good. Yeah, yeah. I like, I like the I yeah. like the sewer as a theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh-huh. now, you're talking about the very first one. Which one do you mean exactly? Yeah, the very first, very first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Do you I think it... I can't remember exactly when it came out? Which but... one, in which one do they eat pizza? I mean, I think they always eat pizza. <laughs> That's... You are correct. It is a trick question. Okay. Um... <laughs> phew, phew, phew. <laughs> Uh, Matt, what would you pair with Chud? This is a really tough call, a really tough choice, and I sort of want to go two different directions. Do I have to pick just one, or can I do? No, you can do two. two. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, yeah. I'm going to do two. One the more obvious pick would be to pair it with, like I was saying earlier, I feel like it sort of mirrors the 50s creature, sci-fi, eco-terror creature kind of movie, and I think it would pair well with something like Them. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It'd be a fun, a fun double bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the other one, I would go with. Uh, I think a really fun pairing would be something, another New York movie that came out around the same time of a similar budget range. But that would be a great palate cleanser because it's a an even better move, much better movie, and has some of the same cast members. Is After Hours, which also oh, almost yeah. entirely takes place in Soho. And the vibe is extremely similar in terms of the way it looks and the way it feels and the atmosphere and the environment. And they're both like very unsettling films too in their, in their respective ways. Um, but we were talking about crossover characters earlier, like John Hurd could easily be both characters or be the same character in both movies. Um, and Catherine O'Hara is in after hours. So we just have even more of the home alone uh, connection nice. going on there. And then I would say a soft third would be something like, I think this is another new world movie. Oh, a soft third. Oh, a soft third. Yeah. Oh, a Yeah. That was my Like Peter Michael gets his soft turd. <laughs> We're going to have a soft third. Oh, that was terrible. Uh, yeah, uh, alligator. I think could be, could pair well with this. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. Like creature mm, sure. And sewer. Sure. Yeah. So um, those are my I, choices. Very nice. Very nice. Those are all sound like. I love how you pick on the different the different themes. It's like a New York night. You got a radioactive night. Really, uh, and then a creature <laughs> yeah. night. Right. You know, with alligator. And you have to watch Chud all three times. Yeah, so you have to <laughs> but you still have to watch Chud. Time. I would probably uh, put it with Manhunter, which I know we mentioned earlier, but just so Ooh. we can really have a uh, a greased fest. Because uh, mm. I think Kim Greist is uh, like, she is actually, pre- she's really good in this, for one. Uh, yes. In the commentary, they never call her by name. They seem to have forgotten her name. But she kind of like oh, retired, uh, like 
early 2000s, maybe around the time they were doing the commentary. So she kind of like just hung it up and like, you know, stopped acting. But she, I think she's really good. She's really good at Manhunter. She's really she's good in an episode of, yes, in Brazil, of course. She's really good in an episode of Miami Vice in the first season that I just watched recently <laughs> where she falls <laughs> in love with Crockett. It's a terrific episode. Uh, and, uh, like she's really good. And so yeah, I, the last I, thing, uh... I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of, uh, Kim greased fests, but I think, I think. No, the um, last thing I remember her in was, ho- I think Homeward Bound, the incredible journey with the, the, an- with the animals oh, voiced by Sally yeah. Field. And yeah. she's the mom. That's she's right. the mom. That, that was the last thing I remember her. In. Maybe, maybe I would do that too, but that'd be my soft <laughs> third. <laughs> that would be my soft third for sure. Soft third. Um, That's just, how you'll be remembered. Just, <laughs> <soft third. laughs> um, yeah, because if you uh, can make it through a Manhunter and Chud, I think you're ready for Homeward Bound. <laughs> take <laughs> some, take some spool softeners and have a soft third. Uh, all right, Mark. Um, You've admittedly had some issues with this uh, segment in the past, but I think I think I've been pretty pretty clear about what this segment is. What what would you pair with Chud? Well, I've always preferred the pairing of Daniel Stern with Joe Pesci over Daniel Stern and John Hurd. <laughs> okay. So okay, so, but I think you know you if we're going to talk about. I I kind of like a pairing of um, you know, uh, a greased weast pairing. So if you threw in Diane Weast. With is okay, Mark. Is there a movie that has Diane Weist and Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern? No, I'm just is saying, there... like I like the two of them being on a double bill. No, like, Mark. This, this, this is you have to pick an actual Weist movie. And Greece to... are coming at you. No, no. Okay, so now you have a it's soft a fourth. You have a soft fourth. <laughs> uh, Mark, this okay. I really would advise you to listen to the show and listen particularly to the segment so you can figure out how to do this next time. All right, we'll just we'll we'll move on. Uh, all right, so that everybody, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, that was uh, Chud. We talked about Chud. Hopefully, you can watch it on uh, Amazon Prime or get yourself the Arrow Blu-ray DVD. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. This was a delight to have you. Yeah, I'm so thank glad you, you could so be here much. Thank you. To, uh, thanks for having me. I was very excited to to do this. I was looking forward to it. So thanks. Uh, I, I love what was, you're doing. Thank you so Aww. much. It was awesome to hear from you and awesome when you were like, when are you going to talk about Chud? I was like, bringing <laughs> you on. I mean, when you yeah. like, somebody comes at me with that kind of enthusiasm, I'm like, we've got to hear what you have to say. And, and I mean, uh, you made my job tonight so easy because you really came with the research and uh I really yeah, appreciate I, that and, and uh, genuine enthusiasm for the movie, which is pretty good. I hadn't really seen it before this either. I I feel like maybe I watched it years and years ago, but I could not really remember it. And uh, again, the director's cut. I, I think there is a good. It was a good, really good rough draft of what could have been a really great movie had everyone yeah. had all the ships been aligned and tried to make. Yeah, it it's one of my favorite of the of the new world horror ilk. I think this and I think Creepshow 2 is probably another one that I feel yeah. similarly about, which I heard your episode, which oh, is a great episode, you. by the way. No, thank you. Thank That's you. a, yeah. Uh, my personal favorite, by the way, is Hitchhiker. Hitchhiker is the best. Oh, it is. Yes. It, is. It. it is. I think it's, it's like when I was younger, yeah. I would rent it and watch it all the time to watch The Raft. And now as I've gotten older, yes. I'm like, no, Hitchhiker is easily the best. Hitchhiker. Segment. It's so all good. Yeah. 
Exact same arc. Exact same arc for me. I went from Raft to Hitchhiker. And Raft is still good. I mean, you know. we Hitchhiker is just great. Hitchhiker is so great. Yeah. And then the first segment Into Madness is is spectacular to watch. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Lois Childs is just so good. She's really good. And the stunts. We were talking about the stunts the other day. Yeah. Ryan, like the, the stunts are crazy in that. We don't have to keep talking about because you already talked. No, about but I mean, stunts. I will never, I will never forget like listening to him talk about the fact that he was just hanging on to the front of that car as it went yeah. down the hill, and just had crazy. like his arm hooked in that they made something for his arm to hook in so he could hold on to the car as it went down the hill. I'm like, that is <sighs> insane. There's no way you could do that now. There's no, no. <laughs> there's no way you could get insurance if that's what you were going to do. That is insanity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yes. Uh, where can people find you, Matt, on the uh, on the socials and the internet? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. My, my handle is Mercer Shark. Just how it sounds. That's how it's spelled, that. Mercer Shark. And uh, that's about it. Yeah, and do you have anything come coming up you uh, you want to talk to the peoples about? Uh, I have a. It, the pandemic has reduced my ability to be producing things or directing things or in things, but. Um, uh yeah the uh i'm in a movie i have a small role in a movie that my frequent colleague mike teston directed called browse which is out now i play mm-hmm. an asshole <laughs> very briefly in that <laughs> an asshole bank teller uh yell at lucas haas who's fun oh that's and then, great um yeah that was that was a blast he's a really nice guy it was weird to yell at him and then um <laughs> Uh, I mean, I have a couple of short films going, going to festivals right now that I'm just, that I acted in one's called, uh, uh, one last meal, which actually, uh, one last meal is now just viewable on YouTube. And another one is called, uh, uh, allergic overreaction. And then I directed a feature a couple of years ago, again, with my buddy, Mike, that I hope to make an announcement about soon called dementia part two. We're so love close it. to actually being able to say it's coming. I'm pretty much saying that now, but I, you know, I'll give more details soon, but oh, that's uh, awesome, I'm really excited dude. about that. Cause we I finally, can't wait to watch it. Yeah. It's a weird story. Uh, you know, it's a weird movie, but I'm so glad people can finally are event very soon. I think going to be able to see it. And I think that's a movie that you made. That's mm-hmm. like very much in the kind of in like the new world kind of vein. And that like you, you guys just mm-hmm. shot it like very quickly and well, entirely much like in a Chud, house, correct? Yeah, we it, we basically there was a film festival in Chicago called Cinepocalypse that mm-hmm. uh, you know all these genre festivals are trying to come up with gimmicks, and they challenged me and Mike to make a movie to fill a slot, like an unmade movie. But we couldn't start working on it until they announced their schedule, which was about five weeks before the festival. So we had to <laughs> oh write, sh- we had to write, shoot, and edit and mix a feature film in five weeks. And I think we just thought it would be a fun like experiment. And then, and and it was, it was fun. It was a little crazy. I didn't sleep for five weeks, um, but it ended up coming out a lot better than we expected. We played all these great genre festivals all over the world. Um, it's a weird movie. So it's been a tough sell for distributors, uh, sure, sure. but it's very much like, but it's funny. We were just talking about Bud the Chud. Uh, I hope I'm not saying, I'm not trying to say it's, of that quality, <laughs> but, uh, but it's very, you know, there's a first dementia, which Mike directed. Mm-hmm. That's very much a straightforward, dramatic thriller, a psychological thriller and dementia part two, the one we made together very quickly for that festival is, um, a one eighty. It is a zany Ramey esque gross out 
midnight movie and I, I can't wait for people to see it because we just did whatever came into our heads i think we had like a 52 page script that we turned <laughs> into a feature and so yeah it's it, it was fun it's a it sounds weirdo. miles and miles above chud too but the chud so i'm excited <laughs> to watch it oh thanks um, yeah hopefully soon you can the chud which was just really some work that was really some work um yeah, you can also yeah. find us on instagram and twitter and Facebook, even if you remember that old relic, um, we're working on our MySpace page. We'll get there. Uh, uh, but find us on the socials. Find Matt on the socials. Matt, thank you again for being here uh, on the thank New World so Podcast. Much. And you're uh, awesome. And we will have you back hopefully some other time. And for now, uh, everybody, rate and review us wherever you can find podcasts. And we'll see you next time on the New World Podcast. Ciao, homies. Until. Dinner time! Dinner time! <laughs> 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 John! <laughs>